0: after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And Matthew 1, Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It is uh, the time of year that we fall back to very easily asked and responded to questions. If you are talking to somebody who is between the ages of, I can talk and I have car keys, then the question is this. The question is, what do you want for Christmas? There it is, the question. And that answer is usually more about trends. We live in a trendy world, but the best things in life are timeless. And the trendy answers are, what What do I want for Christmas? I, I don't really pretend to know a lot about what the hot Christmas items are this year, but I would assume that uh, Batman Legos are on the list, and maybe Hatchimals, whatever those are. Okay, uh, Star Wars has got to be high on the list. And for some reason... Elmo keeps popping up year after year after year. He's less and less a trend and more and more timeless all the time. Not really sure why. But, but if you question, not younger kids, but anybody who is over the age of, I have bills, okay, you get an, you, it's, it's a very different discussion. It's not, what do you want for Christmas? It's, what are you doing for Christmas? That's the question. And the answer is more timeless because it has to do with people. Oh, I'm going to be with my family in Kansas City, or, oh, my family's going to come, my sister's going to come, and we haven't been together for a while, and, oh, or, oh, you're not going to make it? You're not going to be here? Oh, oh, ah, because for the slightly older ones here, right, Christmas is not so much about what we want anymore. Christmas is way more about who we will be with, or who we won't be with, because our need for with is very strong, and so it's why when we throw this Emmanuel word out at Christmas time, that it has so much power. It's so compelling. Emmanuel is the perfectly fitting name for for the uh, prophesied Messiah Jesus. In Matthew one twenty three, that was just read, they shall call his name Emmanuel. It means God with us. And the truth is that God is with us, He can be with us, He wants to be with us, and He made a way to be with us. And that truth weighs more than the world. It's a timeless uh, truth that we remind ourselves of often, and especially at this time of the year, because God cares about us so much that He has made a way to be with us. God cares about us so much that He has made a way to be with us. There was a front page article in the San, Francisco, uh, the San Francisco Chronicle that was about a metro transit operator, uh, read bus driver, okay, named Linda. Linda Wilson was her name. And Linda loves the people that ride her bus. She takes the time to learn their names. If they're late at a stop and she knows they're coming, she will wait on them and she'll make up the time later on in her route. Uh, One woman in her 80s named Ivy had some really heavy grocery bags one day that she was really struggling with. And so Linda put the bus in park she got out of her bus driver's seat, she went down onto the sidewalk to help Ivy with her grocery bags and get them onto the bus, and not surprisingly, every, t- every day after that, Ivy goes to the same bus stop, and she waits for all of the other buses, she lets them go by, because the only bus she's going to ride is Linda's bus. Another day, Linda saw a woman named Tanya in a bus shelter at a stop, and she could tell that Tanya was kind of new to the area. She looked a little lost. And so, again, she stopped the bus. She got out. She started talking to Tanya. And she realized this is a new person in town. She doesn't know her way. And it was almost Thanksgiving. And so uh, Linda said, hey, you know what? I don't live too far from here. Why don't you come and hang out with me and my kids on Thanksgiving? And Tanya took her up on that. And now they're really good friends. And I want you to think about... What a thankless task driving a bus has to be in a bigger city, in our world especially. You've got cranky passengers having bad days, and you've got people who want to ride the bus but don't want to pay to ride the bus. You've got breakdowns. You've got traffic jams. You've got gum on the seats and Linda is above all of that. She doesn't get sucked into it. And the question was asked of her, how in the world do you have this kind of attitude? And here's what she said. She said, my mood is set at 2.30 a.m. every morning when I get up and I get on my knees to pray before my shift. Because she said, there's a lot to talk about with the Lord. Linda is a Christian, and she goes to a church called Glad Tidings Church in Hayward, California. And with that strong foothold of prayer before she heads off to work, she goes and faces a day of driving a bus with all that that entails. And when she comes to the end of her shift after a long day, she gets to the end of her line. She again gets up out of her seat. She turns to her passengers and she says, that's all. I love you. Take care. Now, I'm pretty sure they don't teach that in bus driver school, right? When's the last time you had a bus driver say, I love you? But that's what Linda does. And the story of Linda shows us how we really know that somebody cares about us. Linda's care for people is evident. It's evident by her words. It's evident by her actions. And the people who climb aboard her bus Understand that they're in the best hands that they could possibly be in. Linda shows us how care works. Care happens when somebody acts and when somebody speaks in another person's best interest. And when we come to the writer in Hebrews, these very opening words of this letter, he gives us that same kind of care that Linda has. He writes that in the past, God spoke To our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And his son is pretty special. He's the heir of all things. He made the universe. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. He provided purification for sins. And he sits at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And I want to suggest that these opening words to the book of Hebrews is are words of immense care. They are a description of how the God of everything has cared even for us. And so, let's ask the question this way. I'm going to throw it out. When do you feel cared for? I want you to answer that question in your mind. When do you feel cared for? Is it not when people take the time to speak with you? They pull you aside or they see you or they, they're very intentional. Hey, I want to get together. And they speak words of encouragement or instruction or motivation or information. Or maybe they even speak truth that's really hard to hear, but you need to hear it, right? When people speak to you, they care. Just about every coach that I've ever known has told his or her players, if I'm yelling at you, that's a good sign. If I stop yelling at you, then it's over. Right, We feel cared for when people speak. But we also feel cared for when people act, when they do something, when they give, when they sacrifice, when they go out of their way to serve us in some way that wasn't required and yet they, they did it anyway. Those kinds of deeds done for us communicate great care and great love and great concern. And they don't have to be big, huge acts like paint my house. It doesn't have to be that. It just has to be something significant. Hey, sir, you dropped your wallet. That's it. And we feel cared for. And in this text, first of all, God speaks. The writer says that in the past, God spoke to our forefathers uh, in the Old Testament through the prophets. And the prophets were good men. They were honored servants. They were doing God's will. But what they said about God was incomplete it was just fragments. It was piecemeal. They were engaged by God to speak, but the picture that they gave wasn't quite in focus. It was fuzzy. And the writer of this book will even say, all we got through the prophets was a shadow of who God is. But now, he says, in these last days, or for simplicity, we could just say in the days we're living in right now. Now he has spoken again, but this time it 's different it 's not by the prophets it 's by his Son. God speaks through his Son Jesus, Jesus, the word, the logic, the reason behind everything we see. He is the vessel by which God speaks, and our writer is quick to give some validation to his claim. He says, the word, this son, Jesus, can be listened to because he is the heir of all things, an heir." is someone who gets it all. How many of you have been an heir? How many of you want to be an heir? Yeah, lots more. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Jesus is the heir of all. He gets it all. The entire universe is his, and that's who God uses to speak to us. He is the agent of creation. Not only does he get it all, but he made it all. Just like John's Gospel tells us that the Word was with us in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus made it all, He owns it all, he, he will keep it all. And that's who God uses to speak to us. He's the radiance of God's glory. If you study the word glory, it has the idea of weight. It, weight. So if there's any weight in the being of God, then Jesus has that same weight. That's who God uses to speak to us. He's the exact image of God. Writers in the first century used this word for the stamping of coins. They would stamp the emperor's image on a coin. And just like that, God's image is stamped on the world in the person of Jesus. That's who God uses to speak to us. And finally, he's the sustainer of all. And all means all, everything, everything he holds it all together. He does this by his word. The word is Rama. It means specifically the spoken word. It's a declaration. It's a command. It's a military term. And so Jesus speaks and he commands creation to order itself and to be held together by his word. That's who God uses. To speak to us. And so God is speaking to us through his son. Pulling us aside. And telling us the words that we desperately need to hear. Maybe they are words of encouragement. Maybe they are words of motivation. Maybe they are words of truth. That's hard for us to hear. But they will always lead to life. God is speaking to us. When people speak to us. We just define that as care. And that's what God is doing. I left off one more. At the end. It says that he is the purifier of all. Jesus, who is the Son, provides purification for our sins. In the Old Testament, it was the priest's job to provide purification. He did it with bulls and goats and rams and sacrifices. But that sacrifice system was always temporary. Now, Jesus the Son has provided purification of sins for us, once and for all, and it took a sacrifice and it necessitated something bigger than bulls and goats and rams. It took a man. It took a man to die, but not just any man, a perfect man at that, a perfect sacrifice. And so Jesus, God's son, the heir of all, the creator, the radiance of God's glory, the exact image of God himself, the sustainer of all things, became a man so that he could become that perfect sacrifice and purify us of all sin. And all of a sudden, now we're doing Christmas, even in this non-Christmassy text in Hebrews. In these verses, we are reminded that Jesus left the splendor of heaven and came into our neighborhood and camped out among us. He Put on a human suit. And the writer will say of Hebrews in the next chapter, he will say that he became a member of our kind of club, the human club, by sharing in our sufferings. That's what Jesus did. And so notice what the incarnation is. And when I use the word incarnation, it's just a fancy way of saying God became a man. The incarnation is God's declaration of his purpose to save the world. The incarnation is God's down payment on the cross. When you see a baby in a manger, it's God's way of saying, I will pay this debt of sin that is owed by every person who has ever lived. I will pay it myself. And through the writer of Hebrews, we learn that God not only speaks, but he also acts. God Acts. He does something. He becomes like us. He takes on human flesh. He lives with us. And then he sacrifices for us. And all of those things, his speaking, his acting, fit into what we just talked about and what we just described as what it looks like when we have somebody who cares for us. And so here's the timeless truth. It's very simple today. God really does care for you. He really does. He speaks to you. He acts on your behalf. He has your best interest in mind. Nowhere in scripture is this more clearly seen than when the prophet says his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I want you to think about that. This prophet, hundreds of years before the fact, makes a declaration at God's request, That one day a Messiah will be born and his name will be called Emmanuel. It means God with us. And for that to actually come to be, for that to actually take place, oh, it took more than we can ever imagine. The incarnation, God becoming man, wasn't just an overnight thing. It had to be orchestrated. It had to be caused. It had to be set up and arranged. It doesn't happen by accident. And just for a minute, this is the fun part of the sermon. I want us to consider uh, all the things that had to go right for Jesus to become the purifier of all sin, for Jesus to be that one who they would call Emmanuel, God with us. There's a guy named Ralph Muncaster, and he was an atheist, and he began to examine his own life and examine the idea of God and eventually the claims of Christ. And as a result of his journey, he wrote a book called A Skeptic's Search for God. Uh, the information is at the bottom of your sermon notes if you want that book later. Um, but as a result of his journey, he wrote this book. And in his book, as a part of wrestling with whether or not this God thing had any validity and Christianity was worth worth the cost, he compiled a list of prophecies that he found in the Old Testament that he felt were significant that dealt with the coming Messiah. And so that, what that looked like is this. Whenever he came across something like, oh, the prophet saying there will be a Messiah and they will call his name Emmanuel. He kind of checkmarked it and he added it to his list. And after he had this list, he assembled all of these prophetic statements that were meaningful to him together in an article that kind of gives a complete picture of the coming Messiah based on the prophecies that are scattered throughout the Old Testament. And I'm going to read that to you now. But as I read it, there are asterisks in the article. And each one of those... ...is because it comes from a certain prophecy in the Old Testament, okay? And so, here's his article. Muncaster writes this, "...the Messiah will descend from Shem through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, and King David. He will be born in the city of Bethlehem in the region of Ephrathah with a bright, when a bright star appears." It will be a miraculous virgin birth. And I'll stop right there because just in that opening sentence or two, we have ten prophecies that have to come right. They have to be fulfilled in some person in order for there to be a Messiah. Muncaster keeps going. He says, the Messiah will be unique, having preexisted his birth. He will perform many miracles, calming the sea, causing the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the mute to talk. He will be referred to in many ways, including God with us, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. He will be a great teacher and will use parables. One day he will rule over everything and all the nations will bow down to him. But the Messiah will come to save Mankind. He will become the offering for man's sin. He will present himself to Jerusalem as both the anointed king and the Passover lamb. This will occur approximately, exactly, 173,880 days after the decree by Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem. And so four days before the Passover, the Messiah will present himself to a rejoicing Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, but then he will suffer greatly. He will be rejected by many, including... His own friends. He will be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. Later, that money will be thrown down in the temple and will eventually go to a potter. At his trial, he will not defend himself. He will say nothing except as required by law. Israel will reject him. The Messiah will be taken to a mountaintop identified by Abraham as the Lord will provide. There he will be put to death with with his hands and feet pierced. His enemies will encircle him, mocking him, and will cast lots for his clothing. He will call out to God, asking why he was forsaken. He will be given gall and wine. He will die with criminals but none of his bones will be broken. He will be pierced. He will be buried in a rich man's grave, but he will not remain in the grave. I want you to think about that article. I want you to think about all the descriptors that we just listed off, that he, that Munkaster just lifted off. And I want want you to think about one person in all of history meeting all of those, let alone the fact that that people hundreds of years beforehand predicted that all of those things would happen. Or, we could say it this way, if we had all that information right now, but we didn't know of any Messiah, and we went back in time, and tried to find someone who met every detail, and we succeeded, that would be astounding in itself. But these words are from people who aren't looking back, they're looking forward to a time that hasn't even happened yet. And Muncaster, through this little article, is able to paint a pretty clear picture of who the Messiah will be and the life that he will live and what will happen to him. And then Muncaster goes a step further and he calculates the odds of one person meeting each one of these requirements individually. And then he adds them all together and comes up with the odds of one person meeting all of these prophecies in human history. I want to throw some numbers up at you because this is what he does. He says, The odds that these requirements would be met by one person in human history are 1 in 10 to the 110th power. Now, it's probably important that you know the standard benchmark for something to be considered an impossibility without outside help. And that is the second number below it. One in 10 to the 50th power. And some of you who aren't math nerds, like, you know, I'm not a math nerd either. We might look at that and and we might say, well, you know, one, one in 10 to the 50th, uh, you know, one in 10 to the 110th power is just kind of double that, right? <laughs> no, not even close, Right. One in 10 to the 50th. 10 to the 50th is one with 50 zeros after it. One, a 10 to the 110th is one with 110 zeros after it. It is exponentially greater. The odds of there being one person in human history that would meet all of these prophetic requirements is uh, (laughs) inconscientificable. incomprehensibly (laughs) greater than the odds of what is commonly considered impossible, okay? Another help to give you is uh, an idea of how big these numbers are. Uh, 10 to the 80th power is all the atoms. If you were to count them up and add them together, that's all the atoms in the known universe. The atoms. Think about how small. In the known universe. Seven times... 10 to the 27th power is the atoms in the human body. Another way to say that would be 7 billion, billion, billion. That's a 1 with 27 zeros after it. That's the atoms, that's the amount of average atoms in the average human body. 10 to the 80th power atoms in the known universe. What's that top number again? 10 to the 110th power. In other words, One person fulfilling all of these prophecies in human history is impossible without an outside force at work. And yet, here is Jesus, a baby in a manger, who will fulfill every one of them. The life of Jesus is no coincidence. And I want to propose this. Let's let's just pretend, just for a few seconds, let's just pretend... That the story of Jesus is a total fabrication. People just made it up. There isn't really a historical Jesus. They just invented it and made him into God. Let's just say that for a few seconds. I want you to think about the odds of not just one person, but several people having to mold a lie that will fit with all of the prophecies that we just read. Even that would be an impossibility. And I'll give you uh, one more so that you can use uh, the new exploding head emoji on your phone. <laughs> How many of you know? You don't know about it? Just search it later. You'll use it. In his article we just read, Muncaster used only prophecies about Jesus that were intriguing to him. If you count them up, he only used 30 prophecies. Do you want to know how many prophecies there are in the Old Testament? There are over 300. 322 to be exact. 322 prophecies that tell about the future Messiah. Muncaster only used 30 of them. Most every Bible scholar will tell you there are 322, and there just aren't statistics for that. It's too staggering. It presses us again to the hard truth that one person fulfilling all of these prophetic statements is impossible unless there is an outside force at work, unless we have some help from the outside, and God is that outside help. He is that outside force causing all of human history to move and to shake in such a way that it brings about every one of these events that are required for there to be one who would be called. Emmanuel, God with us. And so God pulls the strings throughout the century so that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is born on the earth to Mary and to Joseph. And he does that for one reason, and one reason only so that there would be purification for my sin and for your sin. It's the most improbable gift that has ever been given. But God gives it to us. God has ordered it. He's arranged it. He's set it in motion. He's watched over it. He caused it. He wrapped himself up in human flesh for the benefit of all mankind because he cares for us. When Linda started caring about her passengers on her bus, interesting things started happening. She was intentional about her purpose in life as she drove. And her attitude began to reflect her core conviction that she was put on the earth and in the bus seat to bless other people. And an interesting thing began to happen. It was more than just Ivy letting all the other buses go so that she could ride on Linda's bus. It was more than just spending Thanksgiving with Tanya. They started, these passengers that rode Linda's bus, started caring for her in return. They began bringing her little gifts. They would bring her potted plants and floral arrangements. And then some people found out that Linda liked to wear scarves to accessorize with her bus driver uniforms. And so guess what they started giving her? They started bringing scarves to Linda as presents. And Linda has built such a little community with the people who ride her bus that there are passengers who have even offered Linda the use of their vacation homes during her vacation so that she could take a good one. Can you imagine that? The timeless truth today is that God cares, but the action item that we have to pull out of that, the challenge this day, this day is care has to cause us to care. That's what happened to Linda's passengers. They started caring because she cared. How much more when God cares for us, should we walk out these doors and care for other people? N.T. Wright tells the story about an archbishop who was hearing confessions, and some teenagers walked into the church and they were they were hardened, they were they were rough around the edges, and they just did it as a joke. They went in to confess their sins, and they told the archbishop ridiculous and grievous sins that they really hadn't committed and it was all a joke to him and and he kind of saw through their bad practical joke and he played along with the first two and then the first two kind of got tired and they ran off but the third kid wanted to go a little more and so he kept rattling off sins and before he could get away the archbishop said okay okay you've confessed your sins here's what I want you to do to show your repentance At the other side of the church, there's a picture. I want you to go to that picture. And it's a picture of Jesus. And he's hanging on the cross. And I want you to look at that picture. I want you to look at his face. And I want you to say these words three times. You did all that for me, but I don't care that much. So, he went to the picture. He stood in front of it. And he looked at Jesus hanging on the cross. And he said to Jesus... You did all that for me, but I don't care that much. And he did it a second time. You did all that for me, but I don't care that much. But he couldn't do it a third time. The archbishop says, the reason I know that story is because that kid was me. I was the one who looked at that face. And all I saw was care. And I had to respond to that. When we are grasped by the care of God, by the love of God, somehow we have a sense of God's love for us, it compels us to care for Him, for each other, and for our world. Father, we thank You that Your care causes us to care. May we always ask ourselves what kind of care we ought to be involved in. And as we leave this place today, would you give us, put in front of us, the small ways that you're asking us to care, even today, but for sure this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The one thing that we can most correctly say today is this. If Jesus is not born, then I can't be either. That's the truth. John Stott said it this way, if he had not been man, he could not have redeemed man. If he had not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed unrighteous men. And if he had not been God's son, he could not have redeemed men for God or made them the sons or the daughters of God. Jesus was born for one reason, And for one reason only, and it was to provide purification for your sin and for my sin. If he's not born, we can't be either. Maybe that's the step you need to take today for the first time, to be born. Would you come as we sing? Let's stand, sing together.